Welcome to the West Coast Project Podcast for The Affair. My name is Mike. I'm here by myself for this intro. Season one is complete now. We're doing a review of Rashomon, the movie, to interpret the ways that Rashomon had an effect on this TV series, The Affair. And we're going to do three versions of Rashomon. First is my episode with Michelle. Michelle and I, of course, did The Affair, and we'll do this podcast with us talking about Rashomon. We'll do a second one with my partner on The Americans, Jamie, doing a podcast on Rashomon. And then the third one will be Jamie and Michelle doing a third podcast on Rashomon. So we'll be able to interpret the three different viewpoints of the movie from three different sets of partners talking about it. So here's the first set, myself and Michelle talking about Rashomon. Well, happy birthday, Michelle. This is the West Coast Project podcast for The Affair, and we're sneaking in a couple last episodes here of the podcast to kind of capitalize on the theme of the show. We're going to cover the movie Rashomon. Yay! And Michelle, I have a surprise idea for you. Okay. I could only spring this on you on on your birthday. Uh. But um, I want to do this podcast with you about Rashomon, then I'm going to do the podcast about Rashomon with another person that I do podcasts with. Okay. Then I want you and her to do a podcast together about Rashomon. Uh, why do you hate me? And I want, as you should know by now, the theme of Rashomon and, of course, the theme of the affair was this different perspectives of things that happen. So I wanted to see how each of us would interpret this movie. So, Michelle, what did you think of Rashomon? <laughs> Um, it was certainly not my favorite movie by a long, long shot. And I probably, had we not been going to podcast it, I probably wouldn't have even finished the movie. And I finish everything. Well, don't bang your microphone around. We can hear you. Sorry. We can hear your anger coming through. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about what we thought about the movie, then we'll go through the plot of the movie. Okay. And we'll be done in three or four hours, so don't worry. Yeah. We'll get back to your birthday. <laughs> okay. Um, the movie is based on a short story called In a Grove from 1922, and the movie itself was made in 1950, of course, by Akira Kurosawa, who's a very famous Japanese director. Um, and it's the story of an... Well, it's a story of a samurai who's found dead, and then there's a mystery involved into what happened to him, and three different people try to resolve that mystery. Actually, four people. Four perspectives on it. Kind of. Yeah, yeah. so Michelle, you didn't like it. Why? You know, let's, let's get serious about this. Why didn't you like it? Okay, in all seriousness, I am one of those people, right or wrong, that I don't like old movies just because they're old and acclaimed. A lot of people, I think, just kind of buy into it, and you get the whole, oh, it's a great movie, it's a classic, it's been around, and I'm just 
if anything, I'm probably the opposite of that, which maybe isn't the best way to be, but, but I'm skeptical. If I hear something, this is what, you know, 64 years old now, 65. If I hear something that's 65 years old that people say is great, 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 then I want to be wowed by it. And I was not wowed by it. The, the story was fine. Um, it was actually a pretty good story that I think personally told in a more relevant way to our culture and our society today would have had a whole lot of meaning. Just the fact that it was so antiquated and as was common for the time, in my opinion, so overacted. Not to mention that the translation, I thought, was just uh, lacking. And I, you know me, Mike. I have a hard time being real negative about any of the things that we talk about. I think... Um, yeah, I totally... I protect your right, to, and you're, I, I agree with you 100% that you're, you should never like something because you're supposed to like it. Uh, it's a classic. you got to love it. It's like the most important movie of the 20th century. I totally buy that. If you don't like something, you just you have the right not to like it. Um, and so let's. a lot of people probably have not seen this movie. I saw it for the first time to prepare for this podcast. And um, it's a hard-to-find movie. It's, it's um, in a couple places where you, you most likely have to pay for it to, mm-hmm. to get the movie with the English subtitles. It's in Japanese. It's in black and white. It's old. Um, but some of the charm that I found in it are from some of the, are for some of the reasons I think that it looks so different from movies that we see today. Um, so I don't know. Let's, let's, let's take, let's take a chance on this and just see what we think of it. So, um, Rashomon, I I did some studying of the movie and read about it. So Rashomon, the name Rashomon is a gate, it's a gateway to the city of Kyoto. In Japan, mm-hmm. it's one of the biggest gateways to the city of Kyoto, and um, it's a temple. We see this. We see this uh, temple-looking building in the beginning of the movie, and it's falling apart. It's like in ruins. It's half half built and half fallen down. Right. Right. It's an old wooden temple. Um, yeah, I wasn't sure if that was how relevant that was because they kept showing it. You know, it's in such a state of disrepair. I wasn't sure if it was about the the rain. Or something, I, I wasn't sure, and that kind of had me thrown off for a little bit. Yeah. So before we start chopping it apart in the plot, let's let's think about this. So I thought the temple being in ruins, I thought I thought the temple was a symbol of the it, as a gateway, the gateway to the truth, because this the story ends up in a court, essentially a court of law and Japanese law as to what happened to this murder. How, they're trying to resolve this murder by talking to the witnesses. And the participants in the murder. So I took the gateway as the gateway to the truth. Like, what's the gateway to the story? What's the truth of the story? And because the gateway was in ruins, the, the story had these different interpretations. So the, the path of the truth coming out to the people who wanted to know the truth was also in ruins. It was difficult to understand. It wasn't a clear, cut-and-dried case. Uh I didn't see that so much. I just saw it more as people telling a story that painted them in the prettiest light, considering the circumstance. I didn't see it so much as a 
different perspective on what happened. As a matter of fact, there's no way it could have been a different perspective. Much like a lot of the stuff in the affair, it was just these people telling their story in the way that would keep their, you know, make them look noble or, or fierce or whatever. Right. But don't you believe that people, the perspectives are not manufactured, that they actually have those those perspectives are their real perspectives and they're twisting them a little bit to make it fit their vanity or whatever needs they have. But they, I think people actually talk themselves into believing their own perspectives. Oh, I completely agree with that. Um, but I don't, but I, th- there's, there's no way the differences in this could have just been perspective. We're talking even the death was not the same. I mean, people would know how someone died, and even that wasn't the same. This isn't just perspective. Um, I could see how parts of it could be perspective, certainly, but it was just, it's just like you said, it was just vanity. It was vanity to make themselves look good, to show their, their good side, whether it was true or not. And then we find out, you know, most of it's not. Well, we never really find out the, the absolute truth. Um, Akira Kurosawa himself said in his autobiography, human beings are unable to be honest with themselves about themselves. They cannot talk about themselves without embellishing. Um, and then actually when he was beginning filming on the, on the movie, his, he had three assistant directors and they came to him and they said they were unhappy and they didn't understand the story. And in the beginning of the movie, that's the very first thing we see from some of the characters is, I don't understand. This doesn't make any sense. Um, so he had real-life problems with people trying to interpret this story in the, in the people that were working for him as he made the movie. Well, I mean, I can see why. Well, so Kurosawa says that um, it's, it's exactly what you see it as. That's his, that's his meaning behind it. Um, it's four testimonies of a crime or as some four testimonies of events that just don't match. To me, it seemed like the the guy in the temple, the last man to tell his story, was the one who told the truth because eventually told the truth because he had no dog in the fight, so ah, to speak. But he did. He does. Well, he did at first because at first he told his vanity story, but then when it didn't make sense and it didn't add up and some people were smart enough to hear that it wasn't, it couldn't have happened exactly that way. He told, you know, what I considered to be the truth because what point would he have had for not doing it at that point? Well, we can get into that, but the, but the, the whole theory of Kurosawa ruffling feathers and not following that plot device that most people have that, Problem, resolution, satisfaction of watching a movie, it's over, get up and leave. That wasn't what happened in this movie. So he broke those rules. He broke, he broke the model for how movies were really, really made up to that point. Yeah, but I don't know if that's completely fair, though, Mike, because there's a lot of movies that, that you don't... This was a lot of noise to me, particularly at the beginning. I mean, like I was saying, overacted, screamed. It just wasn't anything. I don't have to be entertained every second of a movie. And I love nuances and I love build-ups to stuff. 
it well, was probably very relevant in its time, but so was Charlie Chaplin in its time. And just the relevance of today in this, I just, I couldn't find it. Yeah, but I live in today too, and I liked it a lot. <laughs> yeah, well, so, I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm just saying I couldn't find it. I couldn't so, find it. So there's four stories basically to solve this murder is the basic plot. There's a murder and a rape involved in this. Um, and the thing that validates each story, uh, there's actually three real stories. And then the fourth story is kind of an eyewitness guy who's not really involved in it, but he's but he's a little involved in it. And so the the thing that makes each of the stories believable is at the end of each of their stories, they claim to be the murderer. There's a, there's the woodcutter is the guy who's the eyewitness. He sees all this action. There's a samurai. There's a bandit. And a, there's a samurai's wife. And the three main people are the samurai, his wife, and the bandit. And each of their stories end with them claiming to be the murderer, to having com- committed this murder. So they don't have any ulterior motive to lie. They They think... They imply that they're telling the truth, and the and the way that they assume the guilt of being the murder actually kind of verifies each of their three stories. Um, I guess we'll have to get into them individually because I don't. Is that is that true? Yeah, I know that when the bandit told the story, his name is Tajamoru. Is that correct? Yeah, Tajamoru. Tajimoru, um, he said that he won the fight, but the wife. Okay, let's go through it. Okay. So, so maybe the best thing to do is to just say really quickly. So we see this guy on a horse. He's walking a horse with his wife sitting on the horse. He's a samurai and it's his wife. They're walking through the woods. They get approached by a bandit. The bandit leaves the leads the guy away from his wife essentially rapes the wife and comes back and then somehow the samurai is killed and at the very end they're in court trying to figure out what happened and who's guilty right, right. That- as yeah as told by the you call them a, the wood woodcutter woodcutter there's a okay. woodcutter who's ob- observed all this so he's the fourth person okay yeah so the all those four people are in court the guy that's dead the samurai is represented in court by a seer by like a psychic <laughs> right which i thought was extremely creepy and very very cool but um so he even has his say from the grave he's got this psychic channeling his version <laughs> of the story um so yeah so it starts out with the bandit um, the bandit leads the samurai uh, off into the woods to see a cache of swords that he's claimed that he has. He leads him away from his wife on the horse. Right, because he sees this female that he wants. He says that he's mesmerized by her. He blames everything on the wind. He said a wind blew, which, of course, blew the veil off of this woman. So he got a glimpse of her face, and that was the end of it. So there was a love story parts thrown into it that you might not have even noticed, but that was the only part of the story that had a lot of endearing to me. But anyway. What was, how was that a love story? Um... Well, he said, had the wind not blown that day, he would have let them pass by. But 
the wind blowing blew the veil off of this woman, and he was so, he said he saw, was did he use the word goddess or something? Yeah, he's captivated by the beauty of this. Just completely captivated, and he has to possess her. Yep. So, I mean, I use the word love story, you know, loosely, but I'm just saying, it it definitely had had a, there was more to it than just he saw a woman decided to rape her, I think. Well, he wanted to. He wanted to own her. He wanted to marry her to marry him, and him to capture her as his woman. Well, he kind of did. And he at, raped. At he raped her. I mean, he took. He, he. He did. He disgraced her. And he did. So. Um, so the the woman is filled with shame because of this. According, this is the bandit story. This is the guy who committed the crime. This is his story. So the woman, filled with shame, wanted, couldn't have two men know her sexually like that, intimately well, like that. Right. So she but needed. Also, also, when it showed that part, when he forced himself on her, it showed her that she liked it. Yes. And I thought that was her shame as much as the fact that she was just taken. Now, of course, you know we're talking about early in a different culture, and of course the. That part made sense of how that would be a shame. And this is according to the bandit, too. This is the bandit's version. Absolutely. That she was, that she liked it, and she was, even though she liked it, she was still shamed by it. She she fought him, and he liked it. Her fighting him made him desire her more. And then he forced himself on her, and when he did, she liked that, which just fueled both of their you know, the fire for both of them. So she begs him to duel to the death with her husband to save her from dishonor of having two men having known her that way. Um, So the bandit story is that, you know, he has this, he has this samurai guy tied up because he tricked him and he raped the wife. So he has, he unties him and fights him in a fair way in a duel, like a, like equal we're duel. We're going to duel. Here's your sword. Here's my sword. Let's fight. And then they fight, in his version, they fight very skillfully. I think he even says something like, we crossed our swords 25 times. I've never fought in such a skilled fighter before. Um, it was a long, yeah. proud, you know, the victor was heroic and, and all that. So he, was, he made it look like a very heroic battle. Yes, that he won. And then in the courtroom, this courtroom is really just a beach somewhere. It's like the gateway again, again outside. It's outside on the dirt. It's, it's, we say courtroom, but it's Japanese. I think this is the 15th century too. Its timeline is way, way back. Wrong. So um, he says he was all heroic, and they fought skillfully. The samurai fought skillfully, but I won. And he's asked about an expensive dagger that was owned by the wife. Um, right. and, and he's like, oh, I regret that I didn't take that. That would have been worth, you know, that's worth a lot. I should have taken it. Right. The pearl inlaid dagger that he had spoken about himself. Correct. Right. So the bandit's version of all this is that as the woman gave herself willingly after a certain point, and then he was gallant in offering a duel to the, to the samurai. Correct. All right. So now the wife's story. Um, the wife, by the way, Michelle, was uh, Machiko Kyo. She was 18 years old when they made this movie. By the way, they made this movie in the jungles of Japan. Think about it. In 1950, it's right after World War II. It's right after Japan was really decimated. 
you know, Kurosawa made this movie with like no money. <laughs> they made this movie in the steaming hot jungles. You can see the sweat on their faces and stuff. They're wearing like real heavy clothing too. And they actually said slugs and leeches were dropping from the trees down onto them and onto the f- camera crew and everything. Yum. But anyway, this wife, this this girl, Machiko Kyo, Kyo was very young and pretty. She's 18 years old. Um, and then she, after so after this crime, in her version now in the court, she says she begged her husband to forgive her. But then he just looked at her coldly like, oh, you're you're tainted now. You've been you've been raped, so I, you know you're not as pure and pristine as you were when you were just my wife. Right. So she unties him and and asks him to kill her, so mm-hmm. she so she could be at peace with all this this turmoil that happened to her. Yeah, I thought for a minute she was going to kill him because she came toward him with the dagger, and she was like flipping out. But then she passed out. Yeah, she and- faints. Yeah, and woke up with the dagger in her husband's chest. Right. So that was her story. So she didn't kill him. So she taunts these two guys to fight. So the woman's version is basically over her disgrace of of being involved in this incident. She didn't partake in it willingly, but she's she's dishonored now. So she wants her... Correct. And she did the, she tried to do the right thing and then she crawled to him and she begs him, you know, and since he can't, he's looking at her with this repulsion, then she just wants him to kill her. She wants to die, which of course makes her look like as as perfect a character as she could look considering what happened to her. Right. Now, do you attach the meaning that she killed the husband because of his hatred for her like she was because he had disdain in his eyes for her in her version. Well, I mean, she didn't say she did. And uh, no, no, I didn't think she did. Did you think she killed him? I'm not sure. I think, uh, yeah, I think in her version she's implying that she killed him because he hated her. He looked at her with such hatred and coldness. That no, she- I thought in her version she implied that he killed himself. No. No? Because, remember, each each version is an admission of their own murder. The bandit bandit says he won this, the fight in a valiant sword fight with the samurai. The wife says she killed her husband because of his hatred for her. It's yeah, but important... she didn't say she killed. That's what the director said, is that yes. she said she... Okay, I didn't, get, I didn't even get that at all. That's the validation of, of her story. That's like, we have no reason to disbelieve her. She's admitting that she killed him. She didn't say she killed him. They didn't show she killed him. She just showed herself passing out and waking up and he was dead. I I thought that she was saying that he had, you know, killed himself because he was dishonored. Oh, wow. Because, I mean, the family, the, the, the household was dishonored, not just her. And he was dishonored. His manhood was dishonored because he allowed this to happen to her. But she so, felt that she felt that he hated her at that point. Yes, she did. So that's why the implication is that she killed him with the dagger. Okay, I didn't even get that. It's also there was also a very um, interesting play on the music during the the wife's version of all this. It was the music Ravel's Bolero. The, um, the it's really kind of known as a sexual piece of music. Um, it's in the movie Ten, the comedy Ten. That's how Dudley Moore seduced what's her name. Oh, really? Ravel's Bolero. But there was like the oh, Japanese dear. version of it. Mm-hmm. If you ever watch it again or anybody ever watches it after listening to this, they should check check that out. It was exactly like Ravel's Bolero. 
Um, okay, so then there's the samurai story, and the samurai story is told because he's dead. It's told be t- it's told by a, um, a medium, a psychic, who is the creepiest, scariest-looking woman in this court. Um, <laughs> she even has kind of his voice. She takes on a different voice. Very creepy. Yeah, that was really creepy, but, but is that historically accurate? Do you know? If they really do that in Japan. And if they would have allowed that, you know, like someone else to come in. Although, I must say, unless this medium or, you know, seer was told what happened, um, I don't know how she would have been able to get all the details. Because it was pretty detailed. Yeah, it was close. So through the through the medium, the samurai. We'll just call him the samurai talking because it's too hard to say it's through the medium every time we say something. But so yeah. the samurai's version is that um, after the bandit raped his wife, he kind of asked her to come with him, and that she accepted and agreed to go away with the bandit. And she asked the samurai. I don't think he gave her any choice. The samurai was like, you know, you're shamed now. You can't go back with him. And she's thinking, I'm shamed now. I can't go back with my husband. And he was telling her how much, you know, he loved her and whatever. And um, so then she agreed to go with him. Well, the, according to the director, the story is that she she wanted to go with him after he raped her. After he raped, after the bandit raped the wife, the wife wanted to go with the bandit. Because and, she didn't, did the director see this movie? Because in this movie, it was like him sitting there going, how can you go with him after what's happened to you? I mean, well, maybe she wanted to go because she knew she didn't have anywhere else to go. Well, but, this is the samurai's version. So he says through the medium that she accepted the invitation of the bandit to go with him and that she wanted the bandit to kill the samurai so that she wouldn't feel guilt, the guilt of being with two men. And this, and this bandit is shocked by this. So he grabs her and, and kind of tosses her aside and gives the samurai a choice. Should I let this woman go or should I kill her? Because I don't even want her now. Yeah, he, you, right, right. He he absolutely put her life in her husband's hands. And wait, so wait, let me think of that. Say that again. She, the, the bandit put the wife's life right into right. her husband's hands. Exactly. The bandit and, is turned off by her saying, oh, I want to be with you now. Kill this husband of mine so I can be free of this guilt. That shocks the bandit. He's, he's, he's really, um. Uh, Offended by that. He is offended because she has said it so many times. I mean, she didn't just say, I, I can go with you, but you'll have to kill my husband so I'm not shamed or whatever, you know, so he didn't go tell my shame or whatever she was feeling. She screams at the bandit again and again and again. I mean, she says it again and again um, to kill her husband. And he's definitely put off by that. So at this point, too, according to the director, the samurai, the samurai was ready to, to pardon the bandit because of all this craziness. And the woman f- runs away. And the bandit, while he was trying to catch her, um, he, he eventually just gives up and he sets the samurai free. 
And are you still there? Yeah, he didn't okay. really try to catch her. Did you think? I mean, she just ran away. I mean, he, you know, he, I don't know. Well, according to Kurosawa, that's <laughs> what the meaning was. Okay. She runs away. The bandit tries to catch her. He gives up and he turns back and he sets the samurai free, cuts the rope, sets him free. And then the samurai kills himself with the right. dagger, with the wife's dagger. Right. And then somebody later finds the dagger in his chest. So that's the right. samurai story. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's basically... The wife's betrayal and encouragement of the bandit to kill her husband is enough for the samurai and the bandit to not want to be with the wife anymore. Yeah, I think the wife got the short end of the stick no matter what happened. But, but, yeah. Okay, and then we have the fourth version, which is the woodcutter story, the guy who's the witness of all this. Right. Um. And according to Kurosawa, back at the trial, the woodcutter explains to all these people that the th- all the three stories that they just heard were false. That he he had seen everything, the rape and the murder, right. and he didn't want to get involved, so that's why he didn't speak up at the trial. Um, but in his version, the bandit begs the wife to marry him. And the woman frees her husband, but the husband was unwilling to fight the bandit, saying that he didn't want to risk his life for a woman who's been spoiled by this woman who's been raped. Well, yeah, but he even tells, the bandit even tells the wife, if you say no, I'll have to kill you. Well, so the, the wife is, then she criticizes both the husband and the bandit saying that neither one of you are real men, and a real man would fight for a woman's love. And then she she gets them to fight each other, but then she kind of runs and hides in fear, and they fight, but their fight is like a really stupid... It, it's like a bad... It's not heroic at all. It's a, it's like a slap fight. <laughs> oh, I know. It's, it's, like, it's like two, you know, tween... Uh, little girls in a fight, you know, like like trying to smack and then backing up or whatever. It was it was a joke. They're dropping their sword and they're struggling into the dirt and they're slipping and falling and tripping and running from one another. They're and... afraid of each other. Yeah, it's not the heroic fight that the bandit described at all. And the only reason they're doing it is because the wife goaded them into it, and she was unhappy with the husband, according to this story. And then, you know, unhappy with the bandit for not being willing to fight for her, I suppose. And so the bandit wins that fight just by almost a stroke of luck. And after after getting the advantage over the samurai, he just kills him. Just Oh, my gosh. And did that fight go on and on and Well, the on? samurai, the point is the samurai kind of at the end when he knows he's kind of been overwhelmed, he kind of begs for his life. He's really disgraceful. And so, woman flees in terror after after seeing this this you know clumsy awkward fight, <laughs> and um, then the bandit steals the samurai sword. So the woodcutter's interpretation is supposed to be the most truthful of all these, but we find out later on that he has taken the dagger, but he didn't say anything to anyone. So he kind of lies by omission, right? He leaves out the part where he's stolen the valuable dagger. Well, right, because that would be his reason for not 
wanting to testify. Right? Well, and it kind of absolves him from guilt. He want if he did if he had no other interest in this except that he was an observer, he's not guilty of anything. If he steals the dagger, he's kind of guilty of stealing a dagger. Right. It definitely paints him in a less nice light. But his version of the other three's people other three people's story um exposes them as cowards and liars and all that. And so it's all it's all Yeah, but it exposes him as a coward well, and a liar. It, he is. Too. Yeah, they all fall. I mean, right. Well, yeah. So then the interesting part at the end, if you make it to the end, <laughs> is that we leave the trial, we're back on the um Rashomon gate, back in the rainy city gate of Kyoto, and they hear a baby crying on the steps of the gate and they go and find this baby and the Oh, I thought the baby was in the temple. I thought it was like over on the edge of the temple. Was I wrong? Well, that's the gate. That's Rosh. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, okay. it's a gate. It's like a gateway. Right, right. Okay, okay. Sorry, I was thinking something different when you said that. Um, and so, is it is it somebody else there steals the kimono off the baby, the blanket off the baby? Yeah, the guy who came up to hear the story. Remember, there was some guy who came up that the the woodcutter was the woodcutter was sitting there with the priest or the religious figure. Yeah. And they were all despondent through this whole thing. And then this guy comes up and he's like, oh, why the long face or whatever. So I'm way paraphrasing. And so they're telling him this story. This is how the whole story goes. So the guy who had come up. Sees the, here's they all hear the baby crying. They go to a corner. There's a baby laying there, and this guy is like still in a kimono off of a infant, a little bitty infant. So, right. this is like the abandoned baby at the police department. Essentially, it's like we can't take care of her or him. So, good luck, priest. We're right. hopefully somebody else will take care of this baby. Right. Um. So they find the baby and the. The commoner guy tries to steal the kimono or does steal the kimono, I guess. And yeah, something he does. else, the rattle or some, something else the baby has. Um, so he's not very honorable. But then we find out that the woodcutter says, you know what? I've got six kids already. One more won't matter. I'll take care of this baby and, t- and raise it up from, you know, I'll, I'll essentially protect and raise this baby. And so it makes us look at the woodcutter like, okay, the woodcutter stole the valuable dagger. But he stole the dagger so he could take care of his family. So he has at least a little bit of honor in that, that he had some good intentions behind his actions with taking this dagger. Yeah, see, I felt like that that was the whole meaning of this movie. Not having read the part that you had read from the director and stuff was that even though we can find the... Um, the the lies and maybe even the evil in these people based on their stories that you can also find the really good in them too. Because the guy, I mean, come on, he comes upon this, he doesn't want to get involved, he steals a dagger, he essentially contaminates crime scene, and, you know, he just doesn't want any part of... of clarifying what went on but there was still he was still a good human being and the priest the religious guy was so relieved to have somebody willing to take this child right we should say too at the very beginning in the very beginning before they come across this crime 
the commoner, the priest, the commoner and the priest are the first two people I think in the in the scene in the rain in the in the Rashomon Gate, and they just start talking about how crappy things are. Everything's everybody's hungry, everybody's broke, nobody's working. This temple's falling apart. It's like everything's in disarray, disrepair. Everybody's starving, and it's just a really low, low view of humanity and poverty and everything. Right. And so that makes this guy who's willing to take on another baby, another mouth to feed when he can probably barely feed his own family, pretty heroic at the very end here when he agrees to take care of this baby. Right, right. Showing his, the goodness in him, even though he, everything he did wasn't good, which is kind of how I took all the stories, is that we heard the bad part, they tried to play themselves up as, you know, with good parts, but, you know, we heard the bad parts, and, but that doesn't mean that the person is all bad, just because they've done a bad thing, so to speak. Yeah. So, I don't know. I, I really like the movie. They had some technical stuff they had to do in the movie that I found really interesting. Like, the um, the light was really hard to... The light was really dappled in the jungle. It's, it was a real jungle. It wasn't a stage anywhere. So, it was like trees with sunlight coming through it. Um, a lot of people claim this is the very first movie where somebody actually shone a camera right at the sun. Directly at the sun. And really? Kurosawa did that a few times. And we see the sunlight coming in through the through the branches of the trees. It's not all even light. It's all very awkward, dappled, kind of spotty, dark and light and dark and light. Um, and he also took mirrors and he shined the light into certain places where the light really showed up. Like, you may have noticed, Michelle, on the dagger and the sword. Yeah. Um, the light glowed on the sword, like where it was in kind of a shady area. It was kind of a unique look to it. Also, in the rain, the rain didn't show up on the camera, so they had to dye the. They used black dye, black paint, essentially, to to make that rain show up on camera. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, so you know, it's kind of an, it's and it's the three different viewpoints is kind of the the point of the the show, the affair that we critiqued. So I don't know. I I really liked it. I liked the the dreamy look of the. You know, you say the beginning it was really slow, and the woodcutter the woodcutter goes into the woods, and he doesn't take eight steps into the woods. He takes like a three minute walk into the woods, so it was really slow, and he was walking through this jungle. But I don't know; I was kind of captivated by it. I really liked the photography and just seeing this guy from 1950 trying to capture a guy walking through a Japanese jungle with the light and all that. I just really liked it. Well, you're gracious and kind. I. I, it was, I hate to say boring, but I mean, it was boring. I don't want to see a cameraman, or you don't see the cameraman, obviously, but I don't want to see somebody walking forward with a cameraman backing up for three minutes into the woods. I mean, three, like you said, literal minutes of of film. The whole thing wasn't very long. It was, what, an hour and a half or something? Yeah, even not even that. I think it's like an hour and 15 minutes. Yeah, and that last sword fight they did, where they were literally, it was a joke. It was not a sword fight. It would be a sword fight that I could do. I could certainly wield a sword as well as, as these, this scene I was. I know, but that was the point of it. The sloppiness was part of the story. But it went on and on and on. I mean, it was ridiculous how long they, in my opinion, how long they focused on that. I would have gotten it. It 
And I find this a lot in older movies. It's almost like it's insulting to you. Like you can't gather that it would have happened for a longer period of time, you know, and they have to show you the whole thing. I mean, you know, they can show somebody walking in the woods and break away and come back and it's a different scene. And I'm going to get that they went a ways into the woods. They don't have to show every step into the woods. And I'm... It's, I'm sure it's just me. I'm sure it is, but I'm just not, not fond no, of I've that. No, I listened to a few other podcasts about this movie, and I heard people like, oh, this movie blows, man. I give it a three. I didn't want to finish it. They didn't They didn't like it. They didn't get it. They just, just hated it. I feel like I kind of got it. I don't know that I necessarily got exactly what I was supposed to get, but I, I feel like I got it. I just, it wasn't worth it <laughs> to get it, you know? I mean... Getting there just wasn't wasn't worth it to me. Yeah, and I, I guess I kind of say that getting it, liking it means getting it. <laughs> like if you don't get it, that's really easy to see why you don't like it. And if you do get it, it's hard to understand why you wouldn't like it. For well, me, well, yeah, I I feel like I got got the meaning, or certainly got a meaning, but. Uh, not, but I, I didn't like it. It's an interesting commentary on humanity, how, you know, that whole thought that we can't, nobody is, uh, nobody is able to deal with themselves honestly. We can't talk about ourselves without embellishing. And just, just sitting on that thought and thinking about it for a minute, it's a pretty deep thought. Yeah. Do you think it's true? Do you think that's yeah, true? Yeah, I do. I do. I think we color the world with our own rose-colored glasses even though we don't want to hmm i'd have to think on that i don't know and that's certainly part of what they were trying to do in the affair um and i guess it kind of made me settle into a little bit more comfort level with the affair too that we may never know like why is that story so different from that other version of that story it's just the way that people you know the people have it in their own heads Oh, but come on, come on. I mean, it's like the last scene with Cole. We know if Cole pulled the gun on Allison or not. I mean, we don't know, but they know. They know if that happened or if it didn't happen, if Allison talked him out of it. Whoever sank the knife into this guy, that happened or it didn't happen. And I think we can talk all day long about well it was their perspective and I just I'm sorry I call bullshit on it I don't think that's how it goes I think you know who sank the knife into somebody either know or you don't know and if you know then you know and you can't change it into something else because that's the way you want it so Michelle let's leave it this way what do you think really happened in in the Rashomon story I think the woodcutter told the true story because he had nothing to gain from it. The only thing, I think he just left out the part where he took the knife. So the so the bandit raped, tied up the samurai, raped his wife. They got into a sloppy, awkward, fearful fight, and he killed yes. him. Yes, yes. That's what I think happened. Okay. What, what did you think? Um, I think the woodcutter story is the most likely to be true, but I could see... I mean, the things that that I'd walk away from this movie with are, and I know I just asked you to tell me what you thought, so I'm 
kind of hedging <laughs> my answer. I think the woodcutter story is the most accurate. But I think it's interesting that in, I, I told you this made me think of the movie or the show Bully that we watched on Louis that we both so vehemently argued each other about. The date with Louis, who was disgraced after Louis didn't stand up to the punk kid. I think that actually really happens with people. If you have somebody you're, you're in love with and you respect them and then they get owned and humiliated by someone, I don't think you can look at them in the same light ever again. And this was this is what happened to the, at least part of this story implied that anyway, that the the samurai was tainted because he was, he was outmaneuvered by this bandit and his wife disrespected the samurai, you know, a little bit. She didn't respect him as much as she did before any of this happened. Yeah, maybe, but how do you know how she would feel after she had a chance to process this? And don't you think that what you're saying about if somebody gets owned, I mean, isn't that almost like a juvenile way to look at it's something? It's a human. It's a basic No, rock. Mike, everybody, everybody gets owned at some point. I mean, if you're going to look at it like that, then it's going to end up being nobody fits into who you Well, that's that's kind of what I'm saying are. about this the whole theme of the movie, Michelle, that if you don't buy into that 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 we have emotions that are really difficult sometimes to to let come to the surface, then you probably won't like the movie. But I think that's a true part of our human condition that if somebody no, no, no. if somebody You're... I really respect and I think is a heroic figure gets owned by somebody else, I'm not going to respect them as much. I'm not going to hold them as as high esteem in as high esteem as I did before. Yeah, but isn't that your problem? Yeah, and not I'm their human. Problem? I think it's a human. I think it's a characteristic of being human. Yeah, I I don't know that because I think that once you have time to assess the situation, that adults can look over that kind of thing. I don't think that it's a it it's a game changer. You know, you realize that you're not going to win. A person a person is not going to win in every situation. And if you let something uh alter your view of somebody, then you have either put them on a pedestal that they could never have remained and you're just waiting for something to knock them off. That's what we do, though. We put people on pedestals that they can't possibly maintain. Uh, don't think everybody does that. All right. We're going to disagree again. So <laughs> okay. you asked me something interesting when we were kind of texting and chatting before we did this. But you said, do you really think Louis C.K. watched this movie and worked that into that comedy scene? And, yeah, I really do think he did. I, th- I think a person in entertainment like Louis He's such a psychology type guy. All his humor is based on the psychology and meaning of people interacting with one another. One another. I don't know that he has for sure. I don't have any evidence, but I would. I would guarantee. I would risk anything that Louis has seen Rashomon, and that scene was based on kind of his interpretation of Rashomon. Okay. This last season of Louis, I came to know Louis and really like Louis. And if that's true, then I'm going to do what you just said and not like him as much because I don't see that at all. And now I really want to ask him if if that had anything to do with it. I, I my guess would be completely no, completely no. I think this was something that happened in Louis's life. The the Louis scene that we're talking about, the bully scene, that had something to do with Louis's life that was embellished. And now, on a first date, if something like that happened, 
I can see how that would change your perspective of somebody. If somebody's married, like we're talking about in this, that kind of thing can't change. You you can't allow that to change how you feel about... Do you at least admit that there's a parallel there, that the date in Louis was kind of... Louis was shown up by bullies in that date and made to look like he was physically inferior to the people, just kind of like in this where the samurai was kind of either killed or he was at least tied up no matter which version you believe the the bandit got the jump on him and raped his wife so he was one-upped at least by that much if not killed by the bandit so do you see those parallels at least absolutely absolutely i see the parallel um i also see it as if well the wife's story you know where she is cackling and a crazy person and telling that she just wants a man that's going to prove his love to her and be, I'm, I'm, I mean, I can definitely see the parallels in that and that she would want somebody to stand up to somebody else. Yes. Yes. Of course I see the parallels. Okay. <laughs> All right, Michelle, I'm going to go easy on you because it's your birthday. Thank you, Mike. Is this easy? Jeez. Yeah, you, uh, did you have a good day on your birthday? I had a fabulous day it was so so good i mean from the beginning all the way just perfect sushi sushi teriyaki what'd you have for dinner i had a salad i'm just kidding (laughs) no sushi trying to work the japanese angle into it yeah sorry so that's it for um that's it and tequila i needed tequila for this i'm gonna call this well tequila you mean sake right Saki, yes. Yeah, I'm gonna call this Rashomon one. Are you up for doing another version with a with another person? Um, I've I've haven't podcast with anybody else. I'm not sure how it'll turn out, but of course, I, I haven't mean, I haven't cleared it with her either. She does the um, Americans. Who is it? Um, her name's Jamie. She does. We've been doing the Americans. We did a couple versions of the Americans or, or episodes of the Americans to get ready for this season. So, um. I asked her if she would do it with me, but I haven't told her I wanted her to do it with you yet. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But I think it'd be interesting for you two to talk about it. So I'm going to do this with her and see what she does. She thinks about it. And then I want you, you don't to... know what she thinks. No, do you she know just yet? watched it today. Okay. But I don't want you to, and I won't play any of this back for either of you to hear each other until they're all three done. Well, that's not fair because you know, you know what each other. Yeah, but said. I won't influence her with you. Well, how are you going to do I can't it? Do I mean, it. I, well, I can't let all three of us not know what the other three said. There has to be a little bit of in- intermingling. Okay, so so you're not going to be there. Just well, me. Well, you can do it through my Skype account, but but you're going to keep. I'm not going to talk. You guys are just going to just review the movie together directly. But you won't have, like, she won't have heard your version with me, and you won't hear my version with her. Okay. Until it's all done. Okay. Are you up for it? Sure, I can do it. Okay. All right, Michelle, uh, is your birthday over, or are you going to go to bed? (laughs) Yes, I'm definitely going to bed. It's almost midnight. Yes, I am. All right, so Rashomon 1, it's over. Look forward to Rashomon 2 and 3. Yeah. Okay. All right, Michelle. Good night. Good night.